not, it's not just church stuff. You know, I mean, it's real life stuff. What is truth? That's what people are. That's what people are uh, acting on, living on, basing their life on. Uh, let's pray together, and we'll get into our message for today. Father, thank you that you are indeed the way, the truth, the life, and we have, we have the opportunity to know the truth. Not only as the person, you, but also as the reality of what is in this world. There's a lot of things that go on and want to pass for truth, and, and it's just, it just simply isn't. Help us to be very careful where it is that we choose to uh, not only stake our claim, but stand and live and act. and live. We live from what we believe to be true. So guide us from your word as we look into it, as we have that opportunity to be exposed once again to your uh, heart to the reality of what it means that you are the truth. Uh, reveal yourself even more, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Jude, chapter 20. No, it isn't. There is no chapter 20. Verse 20. Verse 20 through 25. Uh, there is only one chapter. If you're using the Pew Bible, page 1,125 in the Pew Bible. Finishing up what we've been looking at um, in this whole epistle, this whole letter of what uh, Jude has written to a group of people, but also to us through the wisdom of God, uh, something that he has made available to us as well. So the book of Jude, if you're wondering where it is, page 1125, or else get to Revelation and back up one book, and that's, that's it right there. So drop down to verse 20. We're going to take this, these verses in a couple of sections, so don't lose your place once we pause here. Verse 20, but you, dear friends, as you build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. As I was thinking about these and how these verses start out, you know, we really need to intentionally stand in Christ. There's an intentionality that needs to be there on our part. We need to be very intentional with this. Notice how he begins well, how this verse begins, and once again, he, he says, but you. He, what he's doing is he's drawing uh, uh, distinctions between those who are in God's family, those who are God's children. He's drawing a distinction between those who are God's children, those with a relationship with him, you know, who have, who have come to Christ for forgiveness, who have that relationship with him and were brought into his family. A uh, distinction between those and then those false teachers who are the cause of the division that he talked about in verse 19. Again, this is just flowing through from what came before. And he is talking here that there's a contrast, there's an intentionality about us 
that needs to have us stand out as God's children. Now notice what he says. In order for this to happen, how is this going to unfold? He says, you know, you put in the effort. Notice he says to build yourselves up in the most holy faith. To build yourself up is that whole indication that you are putting effort into this, an intentionality that is there, an on-purposeness. That's um, a word now. Webster will no doubt add it to their to their dictionary this year so if we're if we're you know building ourselves up that what this means is we're going to remove those habits that are false and those habits that work against living life in christ that intentionality means we will intentionally remove from our life those things which work against a relationship with christ those things which which draw us away from him those things which which are false you know, we need to stop holding on to, we need to, to stop supporting those things that are false, even though it might be popular. It's not a question of what's popular, it's a question of what's true. It's not a question of what is acceptable in society, but a question of what does God say. What is, the accept, what is acceptable before God? What is the direction that God gives us? Work to know. Build yourselves up. Work to know, you know, that which is true and that which is in line with Christ. You know, that this is something that is in line with him, in which he, you know, in which he, he uh, is fitting with his character, with his being, with his teaching, with all that he is. The fact that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Something that is, everything that's in line with that is what we're to be pursuing. Stop participating in, stop propagating opinions and preferences which divide. This is what he talked about when he's talking about the false teachers. He's saying there are those things that divide, and we can, we can be divided over, over, you realize there's whole denominations that exist because of uh, because they argued about baptism not just whether you should baptize or not but how you should baptize or not perhaps you heard of this one group called the baptists you see they we we can let some of these things divide us and cause distractions really Because my neighbor who doesn't know Christ, I really don't give a rip what he thinks about baptism. You know, if, 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 you, if you need to be baptized in order to join a particular individual church or whether, you know, if you were baptized, uh, you know, that, that in a different church I can still accept that baptism. Or whether, you know, you were baptized and some of you, you know, you'll be fine with this. Whether you're baptized as an infant or an adult, I don't really care what he thinks about that if he doesn't know Jesus Christ. He needs to know Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to let the differences in my argument, arguing and, and distinctions about what I believe. Yes, I have beliefs on, on baptism, you know, and, and ones that I think are, are biblical. But I'm not going to let something like that divide me from others because this is what he's talking about. You know, those who worked, uh, brought up divisions. He says instead, you know, work to connect with others. Work to connect with others on areas of, of agreement, areas where you do agree. You know, that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. This is what he said. As a way of being clear, we've talked about that before. Now, this when he talks, when he says here, you know, about build yourselves up, uh, that's a command. 
It's worded as a command that this is what we are to do. Now, now it's a command to the church and to individuals. And, but really, you know, collectively, the individuals are the church. So a church can't have that belief unless the individuals within that organization, within that group, has that belief. And this, so he's talking to both of those. You know, we're to help build each other up. Notice how he, how he describes it. In the most holy faith. Build one another up. Encouraging one another. Oh, man, people need encouragement. You want to you want to change things. You want to change the the world for some people. Start encouraging them. Whether it's the you know whether it's the the cashier at the fast food place you stopped at, or it's your neighbor who. You, you don't know what went on in their life during the day. You don't know what goes on inside those four walls. And some of them need encouragement. You know, some people all they hear are discouraging things. All they hear is how they could, how they need to do things better. How they, how they, you know, need to change what they're doing. How they uh, encourage, be an encourager. You know, in the in the most holy faith, he says. You know, and building each other up in that most holy face is, is encouraging, and it's also using your gifts to serve one another. That's why he's given gifts to the body. He has given everyone who has a relationship with Christ has been given you know, a spiritual gift. Now, don't get all hung up with this stuff. What he's talking about is he, is he has gifted you to be able to serve the body. That's the purpose of those spiritual gifts, to serve the body, that together we might be even more than we could ever be apart. And it's also by spending time, you know, together and teaching one another by example and by the word. Both of these come up as he goes through this. Notice, he says, you know, part of building, he says, part of building yourself up in a most holy faith. And then he says, you know, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean, I, I don't believe that the, the, the thrust of this is, you know, means, I, I don't believe it means speaking in tongues or groanings. Uh, th- those aren't excluded, but I don't think this is what he's talking about here. I think a big part of what this means in praying in the Holy Spirit, I think a big part of what that means is being led by the Holy Spirit in your prayers instead of being led by your own opinions or led by your own feelings. Certainly you can express your feelings to God, but when you're praying, you know, you, you, I think the, the praying is, is getting connected with the Holy Spirit and having that. It's praying in harmony with his word. It's praying in harmony with his character. It's praying in harmony with his being is what you, what you have here. It's, it's praying knowing that he is the Lord who loves us and gave, gave himself for It is praying knowing he is the Lord who loves us and gave himself for us and he is not our servant to do what we want. The purpose of prayer is not to express to God how he should do what we want. That is too often the, 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 the whole end game for prayer for some people. And when he says here, praying in the Holy Spirit, I think it is that getting in touch with God and realizing. I really think one of the biggest changes in prayer. Now, you know, prayer does change things. But I think the biggest thing prayer changes is me, the person praying. Where I can begin to understand the heart of God more. Let me remind you once again. God is not confused about the situation you are in. He is not missing some of the little details. He is not overlooking your personality. He knows all these things. He knows all these things. 
He knows what is best and what is the outcome. And my prayers more and more have just been, you know, Lord, this is, you know, this is where I'm at. Please show me. Help me to understand. Because I know you are not confused. And I know you love me. And I know you're not just, you know, you know, getting a big kick out of it, calling a few angels over. Look what he's doing now. You know, that's not that's not what God's doing, you see. And it's just revolutionized, really. My prayer revolutionized in the sense of it's changed the whole way I go about prayer. And I believe this is what he's talking about when he's talking about, you know, praying in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. You're not asking the Holy Spirit to come and join you. What you're doing is going to join God in the prayer. This is what I believe he's talking about here. And notice he says in verse 21 also to keep yourselves in the love of God. In all you do, even as you are praying, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep your, you know, keep your actions, your words, your thoughts in harmony with the love of God. This is what he's talking about here. That, that your, your actions, your words, your thoughts are all in harmony with the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Again, there's, this is that intentionality. Keep yourselves there, he said. So, you know, when, when people see what you do, how you live, they will know that you are directed by God. When people see what's going on in your life, they will know that it's because you are being directed by God. I read a story just this morning about some actress who I don't know. Um, but she is an agnostic. And she issued a public apology to Kurt Cameron because Kurt Cameron has been very outspoken about his faith. And she issued an apology to him. And she said, you know, I was just doing what, what uh, those around me were doing and they thought was, was popular and a way to do it. And she said, I, what she did is she went and did a little bit of research on Kurt Cameron and, and his uh, faith and his testimony and how he came to Christ and how he treats his wife and how he treats others. And she said, you know, I was so wrong for judging you and taking that attitude about you. And I just want to apologize to you. You see, this is, this is part of the picture here. That when people see how you live, your actions, when they see how you live, they'll know that you're directed by God. Paul wrote this to the Colossians. He said, for this reason, since the day we heard this, we have not stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? So that you may walk worthy of the Lord. You may live your life worthy of the Lord. In a way, fully pleasing to Him. I'm still trying for that one. Fully pleasing to Him. Bearing fruit in every good work. And growing in the knowledge of God. That when people see us, it's, it's not that they will say, man, they're perfect. But they will say, you know, they're perfectly trying. They are sincere in what they're doing. They are driving, you know, to be what God wants them to be. And this is the picture that he gives there. But it's also, you know, not only when they see our actions, but when they hear our words. When they hear our words, that they will understand more clearly that God's love has transformed you. And that God's love is reaching out to them. Again, to the Colossians, he wrote, your speech should always be gracious. Hmm.
Certainly there must be a footnote here that tells us about those times we don't have to be gracious. Certainly God didn't mean always. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. In other words, I need to think a little bit more before I respond sometimes. And again, your parents were right. It's not always what you say, but how you say it. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. And to the Ephesians, no foul none, no foul language is to come from your mouth. No foul language. What about this word? Well, you know, if you have to ask, can't tell me one time when I was asked, when I was putting things up on the sign out front. Well, I wasn't putting them up. I was just coming up with the little sayings. And uh, every once in a while, I'd send one to him. I said, what do you think about this? And his reply was, one time was, well, if you have to ask. No foul language. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for what? Building up others. Encouraging. Building up others, encouraging them, building up others, building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Because it gives grace to those who hear. Because I don't know what went on in the life of that cashier just before I spoke to her. I don't know what happened that this guy in front of me was, was, is aggravating the snot out of me by the way they're driving, you know, and... You know, maybe they're afraid. Yesterday, Jenny and I were coming back from somewhere and getting to one of the roundabouts. There's, I don't even remember which one anymore. There's so many. There is not only no cars in the roundabout, there is no car in sight, and this guy pulls up and stops. I didn't laugh. <laughs> uh, and I did, yeah, and she, could, she, did, she, well, she knows me. And she could just see it percolating, and, uh, you know, she just says, I don't even remember exactly what she said, but it, you know, amounts to, uh, you know, everybody, you know, everybody. That, some people aren't comfortable with Am I going to allow for somebody else to be uncomfortable with that? One of the things I taught my kids when they were driving, one of the things I taught them, as I was sitting next to them and they're pulling out onto a road, you know, and they'd even look over at me. I said, you go when you're comfortable, not when you think I want you to go. And not when you think the person behind you wants you to go. I want you to be safe. So you go when you feel comfortable. And so when we were driving, I you know, just reminded myself and talking to Jenny and said, apparently I just wasn't comfortable going yet. Be gracious, gracious to those, you know, gracious to those so that it gives grace to those who hear no foul language out of your mouth. But what is good for building someone up in need? I guess I would tell you part of foul language is you don't have to curse and swear. All you have to do is violate this where you're not building up someone in need. You have dumped foul language on them. To encourage one another, we need to move along. I can't spend a lot of time on 
on that there. Anyway, so, you know, it, it, it's the, our, our actions, our words, but also our thoughts. You know, when God searches you, knows your anxious thoughts, um, you don't want to be embarrassed. Uh, Psalm 139, search me. Here's a prayer for you. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Hmm. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Not in that offensive way. Lead me in a way other than those offensive ways which come up within me. I don't want to be there. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is what he tells us here in Jude. Keep yourselves in the love of God. In all you do. No exceptions. No exceptions. But do you know what they... No exceptions. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Always be gracious. No foul language. That you might be fully pleasing to him. These, this, this is what it says. This is what God's word says. Don't excuse, don't, don't, don't excuse sin in yourself. Don't excuse sin in a, for others. For others. Don't rationalize sin in your own life. Don't rationalize sin in your own life. Romans 8, Paul makes very clear, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, for I am persuaded, not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you're pursuing... You know, when you're pursuing and living in the love of Christ, you are choosing, you are choosing to live in the direction of God and His Word. When you are pursuing that. In John 15, he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. Make an intentional effort to remain in my love. If you keep my commands, again, an intentionality there. If you keep my commands, if you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in them, pursuing an intentionality, pursuing living there. First uh, John, we looked at this uh, you know, as we were going through that epistle a couple months ago. It says, for this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And now his command is pursuing. You're keeping it. You're pursuing that. Second John, he says, and this is love that we walk. We are pursuing, walking according to his commands. But this command, as you have heard from the beginning, you must walk in love. That you're living. You are pursuing and living there. While nothing, nothing can keep us, nothing can keep us or remove us from God's love. Uh, that is when we're pursuing it, when that's what we're pursuing. You see, when that's what we're pursuing, nothing can keep us from that. Nothing can separate us from it than when that's what we're pursuing. But we can choose to step step outside of God's love by how we live. You can choose to live other than God's love. Don't do that. I think that's the main point of the incident, really, with the rich young ruler that's recorded. Well, it's in Matthew 19, Mark 10, Luke 18. Let me paraphrase the incident for you just to refresh your memory. Uh, you know, a man with a lot of possessions, a position of power, an abundance of money. He comes and he asks Jesus, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be yours? What must I do to have this relationship with you? 
Now, Jesus knew exactly what was keeping this man from this relationship with him. He knew exactly what was getting in the way there. He knew exactly what was interfering with him pursuing and living in the love of God. And so he tells this man, you know, to get rid of his stuff. Why? Because it was his love of stuff, his love of his position, his love of his money. That was the problem. It just is, is James, it's the, is, uh, Timothy, what Paul wrote to Timothy. It's the love of money. It's, it's, and here, he says, this is, this is the problem. So Jesus tells the man, get rid of these things. Get rid of these, get rid of what is keeping you from pursuing me. Get rid of these things that's, that's keeping you from pursuing the love of God. Those things that are drawing you outside of the love of God. Get rid of those things, he says. Well, we're told then the man chose to turn and walk away from Jesus. Why? Because he wanted to keep his stuff. He wanted to keep his position. He wanted to keep his money more than he wanted a relationship with God. This is that 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 incident isn't about you know getting rid of all your stuff. The problem here is he chose to live outside of God's love, even though it says it made him sad. He chose to live outside of God's love. The whole point of that incident there, not the whole point, one of the main points of that incident there is the, the reality that he chose to do his own thing and he chose to walk away from God and he wanted these other things more than he wanted God. That was the problem for him. Keep yourselves in the love of God, he says. Keep yourselves in the love of God in all you do. And he goes on, he says, you know, and then live knowing, he says, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, that that has brought us eternal life. That's what Jude says. We can't buy it. When Simon the sorceress thought that he could buy the gifts of God in Acts chapter 8, you know, he, he, he makes an offer. He says, you know, tell me, how, let me give you some money here. You know, how, how can I get this? Peter answers him and it says, you know, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. You see, it, we can't buy it. Uh, we can't earn it by our, by our good works either. Isaiah says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. We can't earn it by being good enough. Titus, I did memorize in the King James, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Ghost. In Holman Christian Standard it says, he saved us not by works of righteousness which we had done, but according to his mercy. It's not what we did, but it's according to his mercy. We're not good enough for it. It's through the washing of, uh, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, a renewal, a whole new approach to life. And in verse 21, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. And he goes on and he tells us, you know, that for us, as you respond to others, choose mercy. This, I believe, is what he tells us in verse 22 and 23. Choose mercy. Having been recipients of that mercy that he talks about in verse 21, having been recipients of this mercy, then we are to, it says, have mercy on some who doubt. Just to be clear, he says, have mercy on some who doubt. Just to be clear, this doesn't mean that on some who doubt you have mercy and on some who doubt you don't have mercy. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, you know, pick and choose, have mercy on these. The other ones, give them the hammer. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about, you know, there are some who doubt is what he's saying. You know, there are some who doubt, so have mercy on them. 
Have mercy on them. Don't condemn. Don't condemn them, but rather try to help them understand the love of God. Help them come into a relationship with Christ. Help them to stand in Christ. This, I believe, is part of what it means by, you know, saving others, by snatching them from the fire. To be clear, we don't save anyone. Only Jesus can do that. You know, only he can do that. Acts chapter 4, this is Jesus, the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. In 1 John, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we may live through him. And right in in line with the song that they did during the offertory, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That is the only way. Only Jesus can save someone from the fire. But we can introduce them to Jesus. We can help them come to know who Jesus is. We can help them to understand who he is. We can help them to understand what Jesus has done for them. We can help them to see how they can be forgiven through his sacrifice on the cross. You know, and they may not get it the first time, the second time, or the third time, you know, but but you didn't either. But here's the deal. Help them get closer to Jesus. Help them to understand Jesus more and get closer to him. He says to have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. Continue to tell them about what Jesus has done and is doing in their life so that they may come to know him better. So they might come to know the reality. So they might be snatched from the fire. And then he says, hating the garments, even the garments defiled by flesh. It, this is not an excuse to be nasty to someone. Let me remind you, you know, it, I, we went over this in previous weeks. You will not criticize or condemn someone into a relationship with Christ. I do not believe you will criticize someone into a relationship with Christ. I do not believe you will condemn someone into a relationship with Christ by telling them what a lousy person they are. Now, Jude didn't forget what he just wrote. He wrote, have mercy, hating even the garments. So it doesn't, you know, this doesn't mean to ignore or excuse sin. It says, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. It reminds me that I am not to help someone sin. I'm not to help them sin. I am not to make it easier for them to sin. I am not to make them feel better about sinning. You see, I have that opportunity to help them find another way besides sinning. I am to show mercy to the sinner and try to help them, you know, try to tell them about standing in Christ. Let's pick up with this last section in six minutes. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Let me read it to you from the 1984 edition of the NIV. To him who is able to keep you from falling. That presents you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Perhaps you've heard that before. (laughs) Here at the end of his letter, Jude is reminding us that we need to live in Christ. We need to live in Christ. You know, we can try to do all that he has said in our own strength. 
and we will grow weary. Uh, you know, we can try to do it in our own wisdom, but we will be misled. You know, we can try to do it for our own glory, for our own well-being, but we will be misdirected. At the end of our time together each week, I try to direct your attention and remind you to focus your efforts in Christ. And perhaps the repetition of that sometimes has made us forget, but I hope sometimes the repetition of it makes us remember. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory. Stumbling is the first step in falling. You don't fall without stumbling. You know, and stumbling is that first step in falling. And Jesus is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling, to keep you from falling. John chapter 8, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Ever stumble when you're trying to walk through your house in the dark, that place you're most familiar with? That place that you spend more time in probably than any other spot? You ever stumble when you're walking through there in the dark? Ask your little toe. Your toes will tell you. You know, we, we, that, that, that whole, you know, that reality, that, that light. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me, Jesus says, you know, following him, living him. And in 1 John, it says, now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, uh, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Live in Christ. Live in the light. He goes on, he said, my little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. Stand in the light. Stand in Christ and he will keep you from stumbling. You know, If you're living in your relationship with Christ in the light, choosing... Choosing to avoid the darkness. The darkness is any of that which is against God. Avoid any of that which is against God. Any of that which draws you away from God. If you are living your relationship with Christ in the light, avoiding those things which draw, draw you away from God, you will not stumble. Instead, you will stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. With great joy. Sin, sin brings guilt and condemnation. Blameless in his presence brings great joy. Being blameless in his presence. A relationship with Christ means we've come to him for forgiveness. We've repented. We've turned away from our sin. We, you know, we've, changed, we've chosen to follow him and live with him. And we're blameless because we're forgiven by his death on the cross for our sin. Ephesians says, praise the God, praise God the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He makes us blameless. You know, standing in Christ, living in harmony with him, brings great joy. So to the only God, our Savior, there is only one God who can save you. There is only one true God. 
There are imposters who will lead you astray. And this is part of what Jude has already covered in the letter. There are imposters who will lead you astray. They they will lead you away from God if you follow them. Don't. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ is God. The one, uh, you know, who paid the price for our sin through his death on the cross. The only one. To him be glory. Glory. The honor and high place only he is deserving of. And majesty. That magnificent place above all others as the rightful ruler. And power. That which is able to get things done. The ability and the wherewithal to make it happen. It's not just words. Because he also has the authority. The one with a legitimate right to rule. The one with a legitimate right to direct all things. Before all time. He existed. You know, he he existed and held this place. Before creation. He held this place of all authority, of all power. Even before creation, but also now, today, the present, where we live. He has not relinquished this spot. And forever, the future, whatever will come, he still has the power and the authority. It says, Amen. So be it. May it happen as you say, Lord. I submit to you, Lord. Stand in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege and honor of having a relationship with you. And the knowledge that you are God now and forever. You are God in the past. You are God in the present. You are still going to be God in the future. Help us to live in such a way that we reflect what a great God you are, that we reflect your honor, we reflect your glory, your dominion. Uh, Lord, we, we want to be able to know that we can stand before you blameless because of what Christ has done and because we are following you, not just to the best of our ability, But beyond that, Father, as we stand in you, in your power and strength that work within us, to make and transform us into the people that you want us to be. To you be glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.